welcome to this episode of Talking Theology Along the Way. I'm Dustin Coleman, and our aim is to help real-life people think theologically through real-life problems for God's glory and our everlasting joy. On this episode, we've got a guest with us, Phil Howell. Say hi, Phil. Hello. Phil is a... Pa- well, here, I won't introduce you, Phil. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What, who are you? What do you do? Where are you? I am a father of four and soon to be five kids. I'm a husband of one wife. I am serving at Embassy Church in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Uh, More specifically, Palatine is where we meet. I'm originally from the Washington, D.C. area and um, currently a student at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary where I'm studying and writing on the ascension of Jesus. Yeah, the ascension of Jesus. So that's actually the reason why Phil is on the podcast today. We want to talk about the ascension and why we should emphasize it, why we should study it. Phil, you and I have talked before about how oftentimes when we talk about Jesus, we talk about life, death, resurrection. And we stop there when saying this is the gospel. We, we want to think about all that is for us because of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And we don't really think about the ascension as a vital aspect to our Christian life. Is that right? That is right. I think it's a neglected doctrine and that it has become overlooked in our presentations of the gospel from a popular level. And on the church level, I think that academically, as I've studied it, there's work written on it, but it's not an overwhelming amount, not even close to what you would find on the incarnation or the atonement work of the cross or the resurrection. So what once used to be a very important, not only doctrine, but festival in the life of the church has become somewhat neglected altogether, I think. And so that's that's one of the things that's kind of perked my curiosities to study it more and think about it. Yeah. So the reason you wanted to study it then is because you feel like it was neglected and you thought you could do some good to the church by spending two years, <laughs> two years looking into that particular aspect. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm Essentially, the story of it goes like this. I'm applying for a PhD, and it was more a, I know I want to study theology, and I know I want to be sharpened in these ways, but I don't know what specifically I wanted to write on, so I didn't have a topic or an idea. And so it just was a lot of exploring and thinking about things in regards to various ideas. And eventually, I I come across just the concept that the ascension is overlooked and it really just convicted me first, uh, I think is probably the best way to put it. And when I realized how important and significant and biblical and historical the ascension is, I, I got more interested in wanting to study it, uh, all, all that it means and all that is in the Bible about it. And then yes, the hope would be that it, it would at least produce in me somebody who sees the whole Bible and the whole 
story of the gospel more fully. And then secondarily, hopefully that whatever can be produced from my efforts of reading and writing and whatever comes out of this could hopefully help the church. That's, that's definitely a goal. Um, yeah, I think that it's been, it's been way more than, than I hoped in a good way. Um, so far as I'm, I'm most of the way through a lot of my studies right now. So I've, I've appreciated this exercise. So you just mentioned that there was a festival in the early church with respect to the Ascension. So, you know, in our cal- our church calendar now, we have holidays around the Incarnation. We have holidays around the death. We have Good Friday, ho- holidays around the Resurrection, Easter. But you're saying the early church had festivals about the Ascension. T- tell us, I did not know that. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I, I think I'm more so referring to the idea that Ascension Day became what you and I would think of as like Easter. And so I think sometimes we we probably don't even know when Ascension Day is, when it happens on the calendar. Our churches don't stop and pause and reflect it. Uh, like, let's say, put it this way. I think James Smith has done some good work on how liturgies form who we are as people in um, you know his popular level book, you are what you love, or um, he has another one on uh, kingdom perspectives. I forget the name of that one. Um, but James Smith basically argues that, you know, we're going to be shaped by the liturgy that we do. And I think a big part of what happened in the Reformation was that a lot of the liturgies in the Christian calendar for a lot of churches got dropped. And the Ascension Day was one of those. And so I think one possible reason as to why we don't even know about it or think about it is that when you ask somebody, what are some important elements in the gospel, they're going to say the incarnation, but they're reminded of it every year at Christmas. They're going to talk about the cross and they're reminded of that every year on Good Friday. They're going to talk about the resurrection because they're reminded every year at Easter. And then they're just going to leave off the ascension because we don't really celebrate Ascension Day or Pentecost Sunday in a lot of our Baptist traditions or um, maybe some more higher church or I know some Presbyterian churches. I've got a friend of mine who's a Presbyterian pastor. They'll still celebrate these things, but that's more what I mean by through the history of the church, there there is a, a enough there that's that shows us of a a commitment to celebrate the ascension the same way you and I might think of the other major Christian holidays. Uh, but it has it has not been so in the last few hundred years. Phil, do you think maybe part of the reason why we haven't properly emphasized the ascension is because we're not clear on the impact that it has on our Christian life? So you think about Christmas it makes sense. This is God coming down to save us. This is him entering into our world, becoming like us. We think about Good Friday. This is Jesus dying on the cross for me. He's taking the penalty for my sins on the cross. The resurrection, he's showing that he is victorious over these things, victorious over death. You think, and those things are personal. I can I can understand why those things happen. Do you think part of the reason why we haven't kept an emphasis on the ascension is because we don't have a good doctrine of why we need it for our salvation. 
Yeah, I think that that has to be part of it. Whenever something connects, you know, I like the image of sometimes we've got theology like a thunderstorm in the sky and there's lightning, but it never touches down. And it's that lightning bolt when theology hits the ground and strikes right next to you or right on you. When, when, when theology and God's word is like that kind of lightning bolt strike, then we realize its power and its significance. So, so for, for certain, I think that there's an aspect to the ascension that it's, it's not connected to our everyday life and but it, it's kind of hard to connect it to your everyday life when you're not even talking about it at all uh or or very little so it's almost like how's the lightning ever going to strike the ground if it's not even up in the clouds and and so that that would be at least one argument to make but um yeah i, I would just say that there there's plenty of angles to go i mean if people haven't been thinking about the ascension and wonder, well, like, what's the big deal? Like, why, why would I want to, I, I would want to just throw out there that Jesus in John, in, in John's gospel, he's, he's going to make it clear that the ascension is a good thing. Like it's better that I leave. And, um, and so it, it seems to us like a, a really strange things for him to say something like that. You think of John 16, five to 11, I'm going to him who sent me, and then you are going to wonder where you're going, but I've said these things um, so that it will be to your advantage uh, if I go away, and that the helper will come. And And these are, are key texts that are just right out of the mouth of Jesus himself, of like the blessing of Jesus having all authority in heaven and on earth, and, and then the Spirit being poured out. And I think so much of what we need to realize is how, how much this connects to our everyday Christian lives, um, certainly theologically, but even practically. I don't know if you want me to tease that out more, but. Well, yeah, so I, I hear you saying two things are happening in the Ascension. You're saying, number one, Jesus is being seated on a throne high above all earthly power. So that's one thing that happens. He's no longer the suffering son of man. He is the exalted Son of Man, seated at the right hand of the Father. And what's also happening in the Ascension is as He is there, He and the Father send out the Spirit to His people. So those are two things happening. In your studies, have you seen other other things happening as well as far as these are theological statements that are going on in the Ascension? And then maybe we can think about what the impact of those things are on our lives. But would you add anything to those two seated above all earthly powers, pouring out the Spirit. Is anything else happening in the Ascension, or is that pretty much the gist of it? No, there's definitely some other nuances. Um, and, and maybe it's just more of like further a- application of the theological concept. Like let's say he's seated above, um, which means that he's above all rulers. You could think of First Peter chapter 3 as a, a good text that he's, you know, at the Father's right hand, above angels, authorities, powers, having been subjected to Him, and and so that's that's going to be like further implication of His authority and rule. Um, but another thing I want to add to that is there's also um, His session. 
So his priestly service would be a huge emphasis from the book of Hebrews. And and so we need to realize that there's um, in Ascension talk, there's sometimes that's, or, or uh, you know, depending on who, who you're reading and, and listening to about it, you're going to have the Ascension act of him just leaving the earth, his departure. And then there's his actual session at the Father's right hand as our priest. And so theologically, there's this concept of him being our advocate, our uh, high priest that's interceding on our behalf and always praying and and representing us. And so I, I think that that's an extremely important aspect. I like to sometimes kind of sum all of it up as the like, ascension is is definitely the part of his departure, but then the exaltation of Jesus as the broader category that maybe best summarizes all of these theological concepts that we're talking about that includes when he ascends up, then the dis- then the spirit can descend out as the father and the son send the spirit into the world. So yeah, I, I would, I would at least want to add to the, the session at the, at the right hand as a priestly intercessor. And then, yeah, with each of those maybe categories of further spelling out what that might mean, um, that he's at the right hand with all authority and power and, um, or think, First Corinthians 15, that when he comes to the Father's right hand, he then gives to God, uh, the Father, all the things that were subjected to him so that God, the Father, may be all in all. And and so you have a, a teaching there in 1 Corinthians 15 about this interchange of the Father giving to the Son and then the Son coming back to the Father and then the Son giving to the Father all that the Father gave to him. So, so yeah, there's there's some nuances here of like what's going on theologically that are more than just, oh, yeah, so Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, and then he left, but he's going to come back. We've got a lot of important theological concepts in the New Testament that are being unpacked about why he needed to leave, why it was necessary, why it's critical, uh, why this matters from just a standpoint of theology of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. I think that's a good point that you make that oftentimes we reduce it to he lived the perfect life. He died. He rose. He ascended and he's coming back. But we we breeze over why he left and what he's doing there. So if we think for a second about the first theological reflection on the ascension in the New Testament, it's got to be Acts 2. Would you agree with that? The first time we're getting a, a spelled out reflection. So Peter is preaching to the crowd in Acts 2 after the Spirit is poured out. So he's giving an apology for the outpouring of the Spirit. And he talks about how they killed Jesus, but God did not leave him in the grave. He resurrected him. And then he says, therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear, the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, without the ascension, we don't get the ministry of the Spirit in our lives and everything that goes with it. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely agree that we need to realize that what's at stake here is 
not just the gospel and all that Jesus has done, but the third person of the Trinity. We, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is hinging on Jesus's return to the Father, and we need to connect those ideas as so so significant to why this matters. Like he he can't stay in his resurrected state on the earth. He must go and he must return to the father. And so, yeah, I I think that 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 passage in Acts certainly helps spell that out. You mentioned whether that's the first kind of unpacking of the ascension. I I mean, I would, I would agree. It's, it's, it's the more detailed explanation of the event of the ascension, but I, I would think that there's precedent earlier in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of Jesus himself referencing his rightful place at the Father's right hand whenever he quotes Psalm 110 and applies it to himself. You can think of that in Matthew 22, for example, as a good example of Jesus' self-understanding as the Lord of David himself, and his response to the rulers of the Jewish, you know, religious elite, the chief priests, the scribes, the Sadducees, all of those that he's in his Passion Week in confrontation with in the temple. And when they're asking the question, by what authority do you do this? His final answer in that exchange is, I'm David's Lord, Psalm 110, verse 1. That's me. And, and I think that there's there's plenty of examples of meditation on the ascension that I think sometimes we might miss that like that's that's what he's referring to that Psalm 110 the Lord sitting at the Father's right hand is being fulfilled in in Jesus's uh, return to the Father in his ascension work so that that would be an example of something that shows up uh, I'm working right now on a project where I'm arguing for the ascending and descending theme throughout John's gospel. So there's been plenty of work written by even Andreas Kostenberger in his dissertation and others that have argued for one of the, the mission of the church is flowing out of the mission of Jesus. Jesus says to the disciples that you're going to be sent out just as I was sent into the world. And so Kostenberger spends, you know, great lengths in his dissertation back in the early 90s at Trinity to work out, well, what does it look like for Jesus to be sent into the world? And he kind of covers this ascending uh, descent and ascent theme all through John's gospel and the language that's used there. And uh, several others have argued about that being like an important theme. In fact, the I I am lifted up sayings or the sayings that the son of man will be lifted up is, is actually a reference to the cross as step one of his exaltation. So John presents the ascension kind of in a unique way, which isn't surprising knowing that he presents a lot of things in a unique way, but we we get a lot of meditations on the ascension, but I, I don't think they're always picked up on. Yeah. So would you say also, you going back to the Gospels, I mean, it's, it's, it's kicking off my thinking here. Would you say also texts like Mark 8? Uh, he's saying, you must be faithful to me. Anyone who's ashamed of me, 
I'll be ashamed of him when I come in the glory of my father in the presence of the angels. So he's assuming a level of glory and authority that he didn't at that time have. Now, right after that, he's going to show them in Mark 9 in the transfiguration that he has it. Yeah. But maybe even that text in Mark 8 and its parallels in the synoptics, maybe we can also see him talking about the fact that he's going to return to the earth in power and glory. When is he clothed with that power and glory? Well, in some way, he's clothed with it in, in some measure in the resurrection, but he's more fully clothed with it clothed with it in his resurrection. Would you agree with that? Or in his ascension, he's more fully clothed with it in his ascension. I, I, I'm fine with that. I, I'm seeing where you're going. I, I haven't done that work on that passage in Mark 8 to necessarily go all in, but I'm, I'm tracking with what you're saying. I think that there's definitely a, a good point to be made. So, so I'm, I'm picking out three major themes here that you're saying is happening in the Ascension. He's clothed with authority and power, seated above all rulers. From his place at the right hand of God, he's pouring out the Spirit. Also, while he is there, his ongoing activity is to be an advocate before the Father, his priestly service to pray for us, to intercede for us. So in light of all these things, what, what, are, what are some practical benefits to our Christian life now on which we can meditate that flow to us directly because Jesus is ascended? Yeah. I think that's great. I think that as a pastor of a, a local church, this is definitely the part that people want to get to first when they yeah. hear you yeah. talk about this. But you're right. It, it, it all kind of flows out of the the workings of the theological um, outworkings of, of what's going on in the scriptures. Uh, I'd say first is that we need to realize the ascension into heaven in bodily form means that we must not spiritualize our mission in the world. Sometimes we could be in our everyday Christian lives and maybe get over spiritualizing our faith or our mission in such a way that we we uh, forget that Jesus came into the world bodily, he died, he rose again bodily, and then he ascended bodily. I think a lot of people find it very awe-inspiring that God would become human and that heaven would come down to earth, but I'm equally awe-inspired by the idea that a human and part of earth would go into heaven. And that's the, the inverse idea of the incarnation. The ascension is the continuation of the incarnation, as one author has put it. Um, and I think that that's, that's something that we need to realize that there's implications for that, for how we think about the goodness of the created material world, and hopefully not have this kind of platonic or Cartesian dualism that sees this big divide between body and spirit or soul in such a way that our everyday Christian lives is divided from the good material world. Realize that because Jesus ascended, he's representing earthly bodily humans, and therefore our future reality 
is going to be bodily and material. Um, so I like to point out that as one implication for how we think about our our everyday spiritual life or our, our mission in the church, that we would hopefully not become just as guilty as the Gnostics in the early centuries of the early church and, and realize that um, we, we need to care about the everyday matters in our neighborhood or um, what's going on in our humanity now uh, because the world matters and the incarnation matters and being a human matters. Um, I think, I think another practical concept is that we would become, uh, at the same time as we care about the world, the tension of not being so enamored by the world. So the Ascension is this wonderful piece that holds the tension together of what Jesus says in his high priestly prayer of, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. We know that our citizenship and Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 plainly tells us is in heaven. Our our connection to the Father, everything that is uh, good for us to meditate on and think about as you you can remember the, the words of Colossians 3, to set your mind on things above. Namely, he says, Christ who's seated at the right hand of the Father. So, so I, I want to set my church members' gaze on the ascension so that they can rightly balance being in the world, affirming the material world, but not of the world where we realize like, well, let's just put all of our eggs in the earthly, political, everyday goings on of this world. But no, no, Jesus has left this world. He is the first fruits of a new creation and of a new resurrection. And so I think the ascension points us to that way that helps us realize that we do not want to fall off onto either ditch one side or the other. The goodness of the material world is affirmed by the bodily resurrection and ascension, and it is also uh, a rebuke to our over-materialistic, over-consumeristic mindset of being kind of indistinguishable from the rest of the world around us. Rather than fighting off our fleshly desires, uh, we can sometimes just be easy to go through our lives and not realize we're not of this world. We are of a heavenly origin and a heavenly future. And and that should have massive implications for how we think about who we are in our identity, who the church is, and then hopefully then be able to fight our sin on the basis of that. So those would be just some, some thoughts or examples of how I've applied it. I think you could do more. Philippians 2 is a really great passage to me- meditate on, to think about it is because of his descent to death on a cross, that then therefore God highly exalted him. So humility, have this mindset of you, Philippians 2.5 says, right before he, he talks about the descent of Jesus down to the earth and then to the cross and then being raised up. So there's practical implications for how we pursue the mindset of Jesus, that the way to be exalted in the kingdom of God is to be humble. So great applications for our everyday Christian life about humility and the way the upside down kingdom works. Um, yeah. So I'll pause there, see what kind of questions you got, but. Yeah, I I would, uh, all all that's helpful. It was amazing to me to think about the fact that Jesus forever remains fully man. 
it was not a, a spiritual resurrection. They were able to touch him, touch his hands, touch his side. He ascends as a man and is pleased to now forever dwell as both fully God and fully man. The implications of what that means for the dignity and value of human beings. It's just, yeah, there's a lot that we could think through and, and tease out there. And that's not even an aspect that I, I had considered before. Yeah. The fact that he's ascended as a man, as the God man and not just spiritual has a lot of things for us to think through concerning the value and dignity of the human race and how we should treat one another. I mean, you could even get into issues of race and, and, and uh, dig, dignity of life, uh, senior adults and in the womb. There's just a lot there that we could think through as far as, man, Jesus is pleased to forever dwell united to his human nature. There, right. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, we talked about several passages here. We've talked about different places in the Bible to go. If you if you could pick three or four places that you could direct people to say, really dig into these texts and soak up the sweetness of what it's saying about Jesus and his ascension. What give us give us three texts. What are three texts where we can send people to say, hey, here's where you can swim in the sweetness of, of the ascension? I would first say uh, to, and I don't know if this is a cop-out, but pretty much camp out in the book of Hebrews, uh, just because Hebrews, maybe more so than any other place in Scripture, is going to repeatedly point to the ascended, exalted, and priestly work of Jesus as he reigns and rules at the Father's right hand. Uh, in some of my previous PhD work, I I argued in uh, one of my papers that I think that the book of Hebrews is is very much so even structured around unpacking and, and very central to its core message is Psalm 110, verse 1, that the Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make your enemy enemies a footstool at my feet. So that's that's a great place to go because all through the whole book, that passage continually appears um, up to as many as 20 times it's been counted to be referenced or alluded to or even directly quoted uh, using Psalm 110. So it's great to use Hebrews as a text because then you get to throw in some Old Testament there too. Um, the second text would, of course, be what we already mentioned in Acts chapter 1. You could also throw in the back half of Luke 24 and Jesus' ascension in Luke 24 to then Luke 1, I mean then Acts 1, uh, the Luke-Acts volume 1, volume 2. So I'd want to go there as a great text. And then one we've not mentioned is uh, Ephesians 4 is really a great passage as well. And right in the middle of that chapter, you've got an excellent conversation uh, about the ascension and then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and how that that provides gifts for the local church. And so it, it helps underscore what we were talking about earlier in regards to the idea that the ascension pours out these gifts to the church. And it's a quote from Psalm 68. And, um, and so, yeah. Verse 9 
in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And I think people don't often read that passage, but they might be more familiar with what happens after that, which is Paul then says that he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. But it's like we like to jump ahead to those passages and skip over that the theological foundation for those comments of the gifts that are given to the church to build up the church is on the basis of the descent and the ascent of Christ. And so those would be a few, um, but I think we could add more, but we could stop there if we wanted to just pick three. Yeah, and then if you could if you could suggest one book that people could get to help them soak up these things what 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 book would you would you recommend yeah i would i would start with tim chester and johnny woodrow's the ascension humanity in the presence of god is a good short biblical very uh great insight really clear easy writing accessible but uh very very highly recommended i think of uh, a good exposition of the ascension. Well, Phil, man, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Appreciate you stimulating our thinking and deepening our love and wonder for Jesus. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks. Mm-hmm.